0: Good morning, Gator Nation, and welcome to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast 2022 Florida Gator Football Season Preview. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on our new Instagram handle at All blog, and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. I am joined by my two co-hosts today, Chris Yanes at Mr. Crispitz on Twitter. Dustin Smith at iakow dustin on Twitter and we are joined by the one and only Chris Doring today the former Florida wide receiver from 1992 through 1995 a three-time SEC champion national runner up in 95 um the architect of one of the greatest plays in Gator football history simply known by its name Doring's got a touchdown which was the sentence that Mick Hubert uttered to describe it at the moment. He is with us today to talk about what he thinks about the Gators 2022 Gator football team. We'll go position by position. We'll go game by game. We'll talk about all that momentarily. But before we do, as always, quick word about our sponsorslash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. For those of you that are new listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses them to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. We pay for flights, rental cars, hotels, game tickets, gear, swag, food, and just generally make sure that they have the swamp experience of a lifetime. We have closed our applications for this year. We're down to a couple of finalists. But if you believe that you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for next season, please email us GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. As always, donations are very much appreciated. So to donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com and click on the donate button if you are able to do so. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. Number one is it is a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. And two, it's run by a UF alum and a huge Gator fan. And three, I can personally vouch for them as they produced the new and all kinds of weather logo, the new Gator Collective website, the new Gator Good Foundation website. And they've got plenty more Gator related stuff coming on the horizon so they do great work and they're owned by a u.s veteran who happens to be a uf alum and diehard gator fan and that i can personally vouch for having been working with them on a variety of projects in the recent past so go to stingraybranding.com to check out their services and rates if you need help in anything digital marketing related and before we get going Shout out to Gator tennis star Ben Shelton, now former Gator tennis star Ben Shelton, 2021 team national champ. He clinched that title with his win at fifth singles against Baylor, 2022 individual national champion. And after his success in Cincinnati, he has decided to go pro. We're going to miss him with the Gators, but objectively, this does feel like the right decision. He's I mean, he, he would be turning away hundreds of thousands of dollars if he decided to come back to the University of Florida for another season. So the, the right move for him just to, to go pro. We'll see him at the U.S. Open next week. The draw actually comes out uh, the tomorrow, the day after this podcast is released. So if you all want to cheer on a Gator great, check out the U.S. Open tennis tournament main draw, uh, men's singles. You will see Ben in action either Monday or Tuesday of next week and with all that taken care of i am we are joined by chris doring former walk on former sec champion x3 93 94 and 95 a gator great to say the least and a returning member of the pod after he was with us uh, a couple years ago chris welcome back thank you so much for joining us and we can't wait to start talking football with you.
1: Yeah, it's good to be back with you guys. Uh, good to be here on the, the the doorstep of another college football season. And it's funny, you introduced me as former walk on. Like for a while, forever, that was something that I I I looked at as being almost like a scarlet letter. That walk on uh, title, you know, it was, uh, as if you know people differentiated me from everybody else because I, I walked on. Um, but I actually think in hindsight, it was something that I, I take great pleasure in and knowing that I was a guy that probably beat the odds and, and was given a scholarship for what I did my first two years at Florida before getting that sophomore or that scholarship for my sophomore season. So I, I, I embrace it now. But for a while, that would have been those would have been fighting words for me and you, man.
0: Well, I, re- I remember that. Uh, I remember we had a, a discussion on that the last time we yep. had you on the show, but it, it is something you should take pride in because you did beat the odds. You were not initially expected to be someone that contributed and then look at you. Oh, Doring's got a touchdown. Doring's mm-hmm. got a touchdown. One of the most famous plays in Gator history. Three SEC championship rings um, to your name and a nice career in the NFL to boot. So definitely something that you should be proud of. Thank you. Uh, so we asked you this when we first brought you on the show a couple of years ago, but it's been a while. We picked up new listeners since then. And so we're going to do this lightning round uh, with you to start off our show tonight. I have a feeling I know what, what the answer is for the first one, but to keep things uniform with our lightning round, uh, what was your favorite Gator victory to be a part of with the Gators? And then what was your favorite Gator victory to watch after your playing days were over?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a couple that come to mind. Um, you know, I think the, obviously the, the Kentucky game, September 11th, 1993, hard to believe that'll be 30 years, uh, next September, but that's one that that certainly was personally very satisfying and put me on the map. Um, my last game as a, a Gator in the swamp, senior day in 95 against the, uh, hated Florida state Seminoles, a team that we hadn't done much against in previous years. And, and being able to stay undefeated and on our path to the national championship game was another. I broke the uh, the career SEC touchdown reception record that game. So that was very meaningful to me. Uh, but I honestly believe, you know, going up between the hedges too, man. You know, there were very few Florida Gator players in the history of this program that have ever played Georgia in Jacksonville, in Gainesville, and in Athens. And I got a chance to be one of those few that did. And uh, for us to put 52 on them there to catch three touchdowns in the first half to basically clear out Sanford stadium of all the red and black uh, by halftime was, uh,
0: was pretty fulfilling as well. So super quick, because this was a topic of discussion in media days. What is your take on the future location spot of Florida, Georgia? Should it be moved? Should it be in Jacksonville, Atlanta? What do you think? I don't think there's anybody that can speak to it
1: as well as I can, at least from the Florida perspective, having played in all three places. So. The game belongs in Jacksonville. What makes it so special is the orange and blue, the red and black, the people that show up. They don't even have tickets just to hang out for the weekend. The, um, moniker, the largest outdoor cocktail party. I mean, it, it uh, the fact that they have a hall of fame just for that game indicates just how special it is over there. So I think you lose some of that. The experience that I had having played in Gainesville and, and in Athens against Georgia was that it was cool. It was a bit of a novelty, but it felt like every other sec home game. So I, I look forward to, uh, Keeping that game there, I, I love the fact that they changed the rules to be able to have some recruits attend. I'm with Kirby Smart that, hey, it's the biggest game of the year. Why shouldn't we be able to have you know some of the recruits we're targeting come out and experience it? So I'm glad whatever changed, I'm glad that happened. It'll benefit both teams for sure.
0: What was your favorite Gator victory to watch after your playing days are over? And, and I have a feeling it's going to p- possibly involve a game in Jacksonville if it's not the year after you graduated what what was it
1: oh man i you know the one that comes to mind and you know i well, i'm a big gator fan as there possibly is having grown up to you know the uh, the the son of two florida grads going to all the games that i did from the time i was 5 years old on not only in football but baseball basketball gymnastics um so when i graduated you know that fandom still remained and i think the the game that probably stood out to me i remember playing for the indianapolis colts i was sitting on the couch up in indy and watching you know, my former roommate, Noah Brindice alternate with Doug Johnson in that 97 win over Florida State, uh, can only imagine what the Swamp felt like that night. But really, with them being number one and us having no chance to to win that game, supposedly, to pull that upset off. And, and these were all my friends and teammates, a lot of the guys that I still played with. And, and you know when Doug, Doug checked to the five semi-face mask, I knew the, the curl and go was coming to Quez on the outside. So it was kind of fun having a heads up that that's what Florida was trying to hit there on the, uh, the big play opportunity.
0: That's awesome. I am surprised you did not say the sugar bowl against FSU in 97.
1: That was a great one. And and again, going back to being a lifelong Gator fan to finally have the opportunity to say that, that we're national champions was really special. Uh, it was a little bittersweet for me. I'll be honest to have been on that 95 team that lost in the national championship game to Nebraska. And then to have to, to watch all my teammates, um, that were still on that team celebrate without me was a, a little hard, but um, certainly I'm, I'm very proud of the foundation we built and the experiences that we had that led to that moment. But um, I, I would say, for whatever reason, man, that uh, the excitement of of being an underdog in the game against Florida State, beating Florida State, I, I there's nobody I hate more than Florida State, and so that was the one that just kind of comes to mind. I could give you a, a litany of them. That that uh, the Tennessee game when when we hit the the long in route and run on third down that was a a fun one Tennessee with Felipe Franks throwing the Hail Mary was the fun one or not a Hail Mary that was actually a, a go route we'll, we'll, we'll call it a post or whatever it was but
0: those are just some of the ones that, that come to mind I call that a Hail Mary on air because Tennessee didn't have <laughs> coverage, coverage was terrible yeah <laughs> um anyway uh last lightning round question before we get into the crux of the episode what is your favorite Gator jersey color combo both home and away. Oh man,
1: that's a tough one. It's easy for me when we talk home. I'm a I'm a traditionalist with the the blue tops, the uh, the white uh, pants. I like to I'll be honest with you, man. I like the year, the hundred year of Gator football. The throwbacks that year was pretty awesome. Those the helmets with the the block uh, orange F. I'm I'm a fan of. Um, on the road, golly, I'd probably. You guys may remember this when. Um, When Coach Burrier was here, you know, we'd wear a combination if it didn't go well on the road. We'd scrap that and go to a different one. So we we played in a number of different combos. But I think the the white on white was probably my favorite. Um, That was one that kind of stood out. That's the one I was wearing that night we played against Kentucky when I made that catch. So maybe that's why I'm biased towards that, perhaps.
2: All right, Chris. So kind of switching gears a little bit now, taking a look at the program. Um, You know, over the last couple of years, Florida's definitely had their fair share of ups and downs. Right. But last year, I think a lot of us were still surprised of the season that we had six and six uh, regular season bowl loss to UCF. Kind of just quickly looking back at it, what do you think went wrong uh, for the team last year? And then sort of kind of then looking forward, how they sort of start to remedy those issues as a team.
1: Yeah, I, I, I go back. I did an interview today. Somebody asked me about Florida being four and seven last year, whatever it was. That was a team that was much better than what their record reflected. You know, after that, 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 that final couple minutes against Georgia or the final minute or whatever it was when things just completely melted down with the three turnovers and the, the, the floodgates opening, that, that precipitous fall off after that, losing the games that we did to teams that we were better than. And one of the things that was so remarkable to me about that was, you know, I, I still consider Dan Mullen to be an amazing play designer, an amazing game plan designer, and an amazing play caller. But that was all gone as well. I mean, you look like Florida in general, players and coaches were a shell of themselves last year. So I think Florida is a better team than maybe what their re- record reflected last year. Uh, the biggest thing is, is is trying to get that mojo back, right? And remembering who you are, like... Uh, like Simba and the Lion King, man, you got to to remember what what this the history of this program is. Remember, you know who you are when you put on that that, that Gator helmet. And um, I think Billy Napier is doing a good job of creating that that confidence again and putting these guys in positions to be successful and having a great plan and executing it. So um, I, I think Florida has some really talented starters on both sides of the ball. I worry about their depth a little bit, and I think that where that's where you know things could go off the rails again, but. You you combine the fact that Florida's probably pretty thin in the first year of a a new coach and his tenure here, and you play one of the most difficult schedules I've seen Florida play in a long time. I, I think it it's a team that could be better, but not necessarily reflect significantly and in, in win improvement.
2: Yeah, and kind of going off that just a little bit, I mean you're obviously very connected around the program what are your early impressions of Billy Napier and the early impact that he's had on the players the staff and just sort of starting to lay that foundation for the program so they can get back to those glory yeah. days that you speak of
1: I absolutely love him man I think he was a great hire um you know I commend Scott Strickland for having an eye on you know what he wanted and identifying that in and Billy Napier um I feel so fortunate to have had a chance to have gotten to know him over the last, you know, seven, eight months. And, and, uh, one of those times being when we called the spring game for the sec network, sitting down with him the day before in our production meeting, just listening to him talk about how he put the plan together, knowing during COVID, you know, that he he had some extra time really putting a lot of thought into when he got that inevitable power five job opportunity, how he wanted to, to, to structure things around him, the support staff that he would need, the plan for you know, execution. Like it just, it, it, it strikes me as a very detail oriented guy with a hand in every single thing within his his program. And I think that that's, uh, that's something that I'm really excited about. And I also watching him at practice, man, it just reminds me of coach Spurrier, the way he's involved with the quarterbacks, the way that he's out there actively coaching, you know, the, the passing game and, and offense in general. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of things to be excited about. Obviously, you know I was critical of the Florida fan base, a portion of them um, earlier in the off season because I didn't necessarily think that uh, it was the the most supportive voice of a guy that hadn't even coached the game yet, but I think you know, you've seen some improvement in, in commitments from the uh, recent uh, 2023 class that they're putting together. I think everybody's kind of excited and now it's like, hey, let's go out there and play, let's see how we are, but understand. It's a it's a it's a program that's in need of a, a major overhaul. This is not a cosmetic fix. I um, talked to one of the outgoing coaches last year, and he said, "Chris, man, we just we don't have any elite SEC talent. Maybe with the exception of Kyrie Elam last year, there just was not a whole lot of elite SEC talent. And, and the ironic part about it was in the 2020 season, I think having Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony covered up." A lot of the deficiencies that they had on the roster, and so I don't think fans really maybe understood exactly where things were in terms of the, the the talent or lack thereof.
3: So, Chris, thanks for being on with us. It's always a pleasure to be having conversation about Gator football with you. I know, generally speaking, you're you're looking at the entirety of the conference and even the nation. So, anytime we get the chance to talk about the uh, the team that you love, um, it's always great. Now you played wide receiver and not only did you play with some great quarterbacks, but you've seen some of the best quarterbacks um, ever to play the game. I want to talk to you about Anthony Richardson. He's a guy who uh, many Florida faithful think he has the talent to potentially be among the best when it's all said and done with his career, but he also has a lot to improve on. What are your thoughts on Anthony Richardson? What would you say his ceiling is this year? And what is your overall expectation for how he's going to play?
1: Well, one, I love the kid not only because he's a Florida Gator, but because he's a Gainesville boy. Um, you know, grow, growing up here, being from East Side, had a chance to watch him play against. You know, my son was, he was at PK Young, and and so it's always fun to have success from those that that come from right here in the shadow of, of Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. I also, you know, look at this guy as as somebody that I put on a lot of people's radar last year. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be Emory Jones, which it was at times, but I I talked very highly of, of Anthony Richardson last year. And I, I still think the things that made me high on him last year exist. but it's gotta be more consistent, right? Consistency when it comes to throwing the football accurately, consistency when it comes to protecting the football, not putting your defense in bad situations, not giving up defensive scores to the other team. Um, And then consistency being in the lineup. Like this is a guy that's been pretty fragile um, last year. And so he's got a, this team is only going to go as far as Anthony Richardson takes him. And I think we're even more worried now and exposed with Jack Miller being out. Like if, if something happens with Anthony Richardson, Florida's in a tough spot. So, you know, it's going to be a unique balance knowing that, that Billy Napier wants to run with the quarterback needs to run with the quarterback. Anthony Richardson needs to run to be effective but also protecting him. So he's going to have to have you know, some, some really uh, good awareness and decision-making when it comes to getting what you can, falling forward, stepping out of bounds, sliding, doing whatever you can to, to, to avoid the extra wear and tear that you know, he certainly took last year.
3: Yeah, that's excellent. So something specifically that I want to ask you about in regards to Anthony Richardson, I know, I know you've seen a ton of film on, on him. What do you think of his ball placement? Um, I know that's a super critical part of the, the game of football for a quarterback is getting the ball in the right spot.
1: Uh, again, it goes back to inconsistency, really. You know, I mean, he's got a hell of an arm. I go back to that USF game last year, made some great throws on some deep balls. And, and then at times you'll see him miss the ordinary throws. Uh, yeah. Having been at practice a number of times this spring and then in, in, in fall camp, you see him make the great plays and then you, you also see him, miss some some easier throws you, you've got to eliminate the incompletions on the easy throws it's too hard to be successful when you're shooting yourself in the foot you know so you, you have to be able to to win the ones you should win and then win some 50 50 balls but you, you can't afford incompletions on throws that are there I also think the thing I want to see from him is is knowing where to go with the football um a lot of offenses in and uh, this day and age, I feel like I played in one of the most advanced offenses in in college football history. I think a lot of what you see today stems back from what Coach Burrier was doing in the in the 80s at Duke and 90s here in Florida, spreading things out, four and five wide receivers, you know, being able to throw the football as, as much as, as as we did. But the thing was great about our offense was the quarterback is, is, is seeing what the defense is doing, taking his steps and knows exactly where to go with the football. And we worked so much on timing. Everything was about precision when it came to route running and and having that time up with the the, the correlation of the quarterback steps. Um, I'd like to see more offenses, and this is not just Florida, but in general have more of those aspects. I loved watching Mac Jones at Alabama, the offense that they utilized there reminded me a lot of what we did at Florida. Um, I'd love to see quarterbacks knowing where to go with the football, taking their steps and delivering it on time and accurately. And Chris,
2: kind of going off that, uh, that comment there about the offenses, uh, Billy Napier certainly has this philosophy. A lot of coaches do the, the, uh, the run to open the pass, but he sort of has the opposite philosophy where sometimes it's the pass to open the run. Um, How do you think, the offense is going to look for Florida in year one, in the years going forward. He certainly has a different caliber of athlete at Florida compared to what he was working with the University of Louisiana. What are your thoughts on, on what the offense might look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually interested to see that too. You know, you see so much of it in practice, but what do they really boil the offense down to? And I think, you know, going back to something Billy Napier said recently to the media is that we have to have Anthony Richardson running the football, the quarterbacks, you look historically, he has the quarterbacks involved in the run game today in college football. You have to be able to run. You have to be able to even up the box, right? You, you have to, it, it's a football is not that difficult, right? It, it's coach Burr used to talk about it. Hey, let's, let's throw it where they ain't, or let's go where they ain't, right? If they're going to play two safeties back, then you should be able to run the ball. You got an advantage in the blocking uh, scheme. So you should be able to run it successfully. When you have a quarterback that's involved in the run game, that 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 has somebody else committed that that has to it evens up the numbers in the box. So, you know, I I think you'll see a lot of that, particularly with uh, Anthony Richardson. But Florida's got to be more explosive in the passing game. Last year was difficult to watch, and and you know, I'm excited about the the news of Ricky Pearsall. For, I haven't had a chance to see him because he he's been hurt in the couple practices that I was there. But provides a little bit of a contrast in style from what some of the other guys uh, pr- present. Um, but they just got to be more consistent as well. I mean, it's, it's a, um, it's a situation where you look at Justin shorter, like this guy has the body, He shows flashes of it, but disappears at times when you're that big and physical and and gifted. It's gotta be all the time. And I, I I think this might be the year that we see, you know, a guy like Justin shorter breakout and, and be that guy that, that kind of, they labeled him as being a five-star coming out of high school.
0: So, I mean, we just talked about opening up the run with the pass, or opening up the pass with the run, et cetera. And I, and I think Chris, our our Chris, made a good point in that Florida has a different level of athlete than he had at Louisiana. I mean, not, taking nothing away from Levi or or Montreal in um, Louisiana. I mean, we have Montreal, and we have Osiris Torrance now, but just pound for pound, there wasn't really the caliber of athlete that florida has now at at its disposal so i don't know if that changes what he wants to do just because we saw tape of what he did at louisiana i don't think necessarily means a whole lot in terms of what we can expect him to do at florida with a different level of personnel
1: yeah any good coach is going to cater to the strengths of his team right if if you if you got a, a quarterback that can run well then you need to put him in a position to to do that but you know i think I would agree to some degree with you. I mean, I, I, you would think that the talent is better, but I, I thought, you know, talking with Katie Turner, talking with some of those folks that were in Louisiana Lafayette, there, that they were able to identify some some pretty good players that may have gotten overlooked or may have got you know late bloomers or whatever. And, and fact of the matter is, is that Florida has you know, probably you know two of their best offensive linemen were playing in in Lafayette last year. You know, one of the, probably one of the best. Playmakers and uh, uh, running back is it was playing at Lafayette last year. So there's still some work to be done, I think, in terms of athleticism. But I'm with you. I think it, it's it's all about finding where you can create an advantage and and putting players in positions to be successful based upon their skill sets.
0: So one place that I do think Florida is going to have an advantage at where they did not have an advantage last couple of years, or if they did, they just chose not to use it is in the running game because they have an offensive line. Now with Osiris Torrance, we assume Ethan white will be good. Um, we assume Richard garage will take a step forward and we have three backs that have varying degrees of promise, uh, for different reasons. Naquan Wright is the guy with experience at Florida, Montreal Johnson's the guy with experience under Napier and Lorenzo Lingard is the ridiculously talented five-star and, uh, ETN by the way, is, turning some heads too. So Florida's got the pieces to have a good running game, but I'm curious as to what you think it'll look like in year one with Anthony Richardson at quarterback and knowing what he can do throwing the ball in terms of their
1: balanced run to pass. Or are you talking in about terms the of the balance run to ball? pass?
0: Yes. And and in terms of, uh, do you think that the run is more used to set the pass up or do you think the other uh, way is true? Oh man which will Florida utilize more heavily do you think i
1: mean it, it's funny because i i think you can go back and look at our years when i was at florida everybody thought we were all about throwing the football but it was actually pretty close to 50-50 in terms of run pass um, i would say that we probably set up the set up the the run with the pass um, and i i would imagine that 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 florida's going to want to throw the ball but i i just don't know how much like I watched some practices where it didn't look as good as it probably should. So, I mean, how much did they improve by the time they kick it off against Utah? What do you What do you feel confident in as a play caller? You know, what have you seen that leads you to believe that you can lean on something as an offensive foundation? So, I, I would say I don't believe that Florida was as good on the offensive line, maybe as the numbers indicated last year—yards per carry or the, the number of sacks that they gave up. They've got to get better on the offensive line. I think a lot. Of, we'll, we'll talk about the defensive line, but Florida is deficient in the depth of talent on the offensive and defensive lines that that you need to have to be a top tier team in the SEC. They've got to get better on both lines of scrimmage, and um, you know some of that comes when, when you have a quarterback that can run the way that that Anthony Richardson can. That certainly helps out the offensive line a good bit too. So uh, some of those numbers I think may have been a little skewed because of his running ability too.
3: So, Chris, you played wide receiver. I know we, we mentioned that already. The wide receiver group, and I'll, I'll even add in the tight end group, is filled with guys that have potential, but a lot of it has been unproven. Now, there's been debate um, amongst national pundits, among, as well as Florida fans, on how well Mullen was able to utilize some of the younger guys. For whatever reason, we haven't seen the potential that we all were hoping for. Guys like Justin Shorter, former five-star. Guys like Xavier Henderson, high four-star. Um, tell us about the wide receiver group. Tell us who you expect to rise to the occasion this year and give us an X-factor player in that group.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to watch you know Justin shorter as i mentioned earlier you know, i think he's a guy you, you look at all the the stories from the offseason, the time that he put in the dedication um you know what he he's shown us in terms of flashes at times i think he could be a real difference maker i've watched Xavier Henderson make big plays he had a, a big catch in the uh we were there friday for the uh former player barbecue and and you know had a a big touchdown catch down the sideline on a go route so We've seen him make plays and he's certainly experienced. I talked to him a little bit after practice about, you know, his hunger to break through and, and, and be that next level guy. So I'm excited about him. Trent Whittemore, you know, another Gator guy here in, in, in Gainesville that, um, you know, I, I think he and I have a lot of similarities in terms of our upbringing and, and what we feel about, you know, playing at, at, at the university of Florida. Um, he's a guy that, that uh, I, I think, needs to stay healthy and, and needs to be able to be in the lineup and and be he showed flashes of, of great consistency but I, I think Pearsall is the guy that I, I'm i the most excited about you know I think uh, there's been a lot of criticism about Florida previously in the, the old staff recruiting a lot of similar body type stylistic receivers and so I think one of the things that made Kadarius Tony so great in this lineup was he was different man he was sudden he was quick he had you know, the ability to put his foot in the ground and change directions. Uh, Pearsall from all reports has, has been kind of that guy in the slot quick, uh, able to, 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 you know, get in and out of breaks. Um, so he he's a guy that I think, you know, with, with as much as you, you maybe pump the brakes being from another conference and not playing in this sec uh, c- competition, I do think that he's a guy that that probably based upon all reports of people that have seen him in practice, uh, could really be that X factor that you were talking about?
3: real quick, i want to I want to ask you about the tight end group. Keon Zipper is a guy who has been tabbed since he got recruited to Florida as somebody who who would be that next Kyle Pitts. Unfortunately, we haven't seen that. Tell me what you think from all that you've seen, you know, looking at at the at camp and and everything, t- tell me what you think about zipper and and besides zipper, who else do you think will be stepping up? In the tight end group
1: yeah I mean it's interesting isn't it like the spring last year they were devastated at that position or this this past spring uh so much so that they moved the player over that you know was on the defensive side of the ball that uh everybody's kind of excited about Xanders I mean you know it, it was uh Billy Napier was talking about him in the spring as being a guy that could really contribute not just a, a placeholder um Nick Elskins is a guy that that I'm very curious about uh, I, I'm I'm Excited to see you know what what he looks like when things are are uh, you know fully healthy and unwrapped and unleashed and ready to go. Um, but I, I think you know Zipper is the guy that has the most experience. He he's he's been productive. He's had moments of of being uh, a guy that's made big plays and big games. And so I I think you lean on on those guys. But I I don't see a guy like I, I look at I look at Georgia. You know, and I know that's kind of a, a the the exception to the rule. But having a Brock Bowers type guy. We had that guy in Kyle Pitts. I, I don't see a guy that's that same X factor right now, but that's kind of the, the, whether you're talking about college or professional football, that's where the real matchup issue comes in. When you have an athletic tight end that can not only put his hand on the ground and, and and block really well, but can line up out wide can create matchup issues with his size against corners or, or, or matchup issues. If you put a safety or linebacker on him. um, I'd like to see somebody either develop into that or find a guy that we can recruit in the future to, uh, to kind of fill that, that, that need at that position.
3: Yeah, that's awesome. And I want to, I want to say this, we're not going to have another Kyle Pitts. It (laughs) was a generational talent. So, but we, we certainly hope to have that type of production somehow, some way
1: you know I, I agree with you that you're not going to have another Kyle Pitts. He was amazing, the highest tight end ever drafted in the NFL draft. But you look around the league, you look around college football, you're seeing a lot more guys that are athletic at that position. You're seeing a lot more guys that come out of high school. The fact that Brock Bowers at Georgia was a freshman last year and did as much as he did speaks to, you know, how well-prepared and coached he was coming out of high school. So, I think as that becomes a a, a position in in high school, where you're seeing more athleticism develop there, then that'll that'll filter into the the college level too. But there are guys out there, and I I I'm interested to see, you know, if somebody on this tight end group can become a bit of an X factor that can can move out wide, that can play in space, that can also put his hand on the ground and and uh, and be physical in the run game.
2: Well, Chris, kind of switching gears, we talked a lot about the offense. Now we're going to switch to the defense. I think this is an area of the, of the side of the ball where Gator fans are very eagerly uh, hoping for a big improvement, or at least some sort of improvement. The last couple of seasons um, have not been great on that side of the ball. Talking about Patrick Tony, you know, I think there's been some, a lot of good things said about him. He's sort of known as a, a tactician, teaching guys technique, um, and, and has coached up some great defenses in the past at University of Louisiana. What are, you, what are your early impressions of him and what we can expect from the defensive side of the ball this year?
1: Well, full disclosure, you know, this is a guy that I got to know um, when he got to town that, that I like, that I consider a friend. And so I, I think very highly of him. Um, and listening to some of his peers talk about the type of football mind that he has, watching some of his stuff that, you know, he's, he's provided me with, I'm, I'm very excited about what he's going to bring. I think, I think Coach Napier did a great job. Of really blending in different types of coaches, you know, you, you got Mike P back here. So having a Gator on the staff, you know, Corey Raymond, uh, a great player in this league, great recruiter. You got some guys that are maybe a little more intellectual on the staff. So I, I just not that the not that players aren't, but it, it it's not always you know it's not always the flashy names necessarily. It's a it's about putting together. You know a staff that can complement one another. I, I look at this staff as uh, one, and being headed up on the defensive side by Patrick Tony, that that has a a really good pedigree for success and development. And I'm I'm hopeful that uh, you know not only does that potential come to fruition with Patrick Tony, but that uh, we're able to keep him keep him around for a long time. Because sometimes you see these guys that are on these accelerated tracks. Do great, and then they're they're off getting their own gig. So I'm hopeful uh, for our own selfish sake that uh, he's around for a while. But if he's as good as everybody's saying he is, then uh, I I would imagine he's going to continue on that upward trajectory onto his own program someday soon.
0: Yeah, I've seen a few different fan bases um, clamoring for him as their next head coach because they're already <laughs> fed up with their current one. So I mean, I imagine if he is what we say he he's going to be, then we will have to be searching for a new dc soon but i guess that's a good problem yeah it speaks to napier's ability to to hire the right staff right
1: that's exactly right like if people aren't coming to try to cherry pick your staff you're you're not winning look at alabama look at what nick saban's had to constantly do in terms of replacing coordinators but i do love the setup now i like the fact everybody's made a big deal out of the the team picture and you know the 122 support staff people that were in the picture like Florida's on par now in terms of, of off-field folks and, and uh, analysts and everything else that, you know, they, they not only have the ability to help now, but it's a, it's a glorified bullpen. You know, when, when you get good and you're losing coaches, bring those guys up that are already familiar with your, your program, already familiar with the culture there, and, and, and you plug and play
0: with a lot more ease. I mean, prom- promise number one was kept. Napier comes in and says, I'm going to build an army. He He's did,
1: right? He did so far. I mean, so and, that,
0: that, that bodes well.
1: That was one of my favorite things in talking to him. He, he told me that he knew what he was going to be allocated in terms of money to pay the support staff that he visualized he needed before he actually knew what his own salary was. The fact that he knew and was unselfish enough to, to allocate funds that maybe could have gone to him to what, what he needed to have the right people around him. Um, speaks to a guy that understands how to, how to build a team, how to, how to create a successful organization. Chris, sure.
2: really quick, just following up on that, do you think that that kind of comes from his experience with working with coaches like Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney? Obviously, he talks a lot about his dad. Now, he was yeah. an influence on him. Um, he just seems like a guy that has priorities in the right place before he puts him, you know himself any, you yeah. know, anywhere near that.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about that. I, I would say in listening to him talk, about the impact that his father had on him being around practice every day, being as involved as he was and watching, you know, his father run the program. Um, I think that had a big impact on him. I think having again, the opportunity to coach for two of the present day best, two of the best of well, one of the best of all time and, and Nick Saban and, and a guy that's been dominant recently and Dabo Sweeney. Uh, I tell the story all the time. I was in Tuscaloosa this past spring at, at Alabama's pro day and, Two people from Alabama staff unsolicited came up to me and say, you guys got the right guy down there. Like the validation and seal of approval from those folks, knowing him the way that he did identifying him when he was a wide receiver coach there as a guy that was going to be an up and comer and, and, and understanding that he is probably a very good fit for what Florida offers or the potential that it has, uh, had me feeling very confident
0: when I left that day. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, there's a there's a picture going around of of the 2015 Alabama coaching staff. It's got Kirby Smart, Mario Cristobal, uh, and obviously Saban as the head coach. But then Napier as a receivers coach. Um, It's just absolutely insane. Let's talk about the the defensive line. Let's talk about where the game is won and lost in the trenches with Coach Chaos, Sean Spencer, former NFL coach, um, working on one of the most important positions there is in the game of football. How, how important do you think it is to have a guy with NFL coaching experience be the coach of the defensive line for a college team? Well,
1: I I can speak to my own experience. Like at Florida, I played for Dwayne Dixon who played wide receiver at the university of Florida in the NFL. You know, I had a number of different wide receivers that played in the league. Kenny Jackson was one that I had at, at Pittsburgh. Like, when you have a coach that's played at the level that he's coaching at, it's instant credibility, right? It's, it's not a guy that read something in a book and is telling you to do it based upon what somebody else told him. It's a guy that actually has been in the trenches that have been in the war that understands you know, the not only the the physical requirements, but the mental grind and everything else. So I, I love you – know, I think Coach Pence is, is a great addition to the staff. You, you talk about a guy that brings energy to the, the team – um, but just the the experience, him and and Mike P, like these guys can speak to how you play, how you rush the pass, or how you're 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 able to to affect the opposing D, uh, offense. And so I I'm very excited again about the staff they put together. But um, you know I, I look at Brenton Cox is a guy that that stands out to me, a guy that has tremendous upside and has shown the ability to to be a, a player that can disrupt and, and, and be an impact guy on the defense, but at the same time hasn't necessarily always been the best teammate in terms of doing what his assignment is, freelancing on on his own uh, at times. Uh, I, I think having a guy like Spence or Mike P or some of those guys around him that have played at the highest level that can speak to oh, you want to get to the NFL? You're a great player. Here's what you have to do to not only get there, but give yourself an opportunity to stay there. And so I think having those voices will help him out tremendously in terms of his development and discipline as a, as a teammate to 10 other guys on that side of the ball. Yeah. And kind of,
2: you you mentioned coach Peterson and kind of shifting over to the linebacker room a little bit. I think that's a room where there, there is a lot of potential. Uh, people are very excited about uh, freshman Shamar James. He seems like he's going to get a lot of play time. He's had a good camp thus far. Um, what kind of impact you think coach Peterson, coach Bateman are going to have on that room and what, what do you think we're going to see from uh, the linebackers, potentially maybe a couple of players that might stand out
1: to you? I think first and foremost, going and getting Mike Peterson was one of the the most impactful things that, that uh, Billy Napier could have done. I called um, South Carolina's opener last year and having a chance to sit down with Shane Beamer. Uh, he, he pointed out unsolicited what a great coach Mike Peterson is. How, 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 good he has been for that, not only defense, but team in general, having a former Gator on the staff that was there during the height of the success, I think is of the utmost importance. And let's not forget, Mike Peterson is an amazing dude, just a great guy. Forget about the type of player he was. Forget about the coach he was. He's a guy I'm happy and proud to call a friend to this day. Uh, So that was a huge hire, a huge get there. And um, you know, again, I go back to the the resume and what that does to, to get a guy's attention. You want to play, what do he play, 14 years in the NFL at the linebacker position or something like that? It's just unheard of. So I, I'm very excited about the fact that he's back. You know, I, I look at, um, you know, just in talk, talking about, in general, the linebacker position, I, I don't know how you guys feel about Ventro Miller, but Ventro Miller is one of my favorite Gator players of all time, you know, and having a chance to get to know him a little bit more looking at what the defense was last year with him out versus what it was when he was there looking during the spring when he had to be at class and how different the defense looked when he was out there versus when he was gone at class. Uh, He is a real, not only big leader in terms of production, but a voice in that locker room. And I give him a lot of credit for, you know, being around the team last year after he got hurt, making sure he was trying to help develop some of those young guys, um, coming back for another season, and and just um, you know, I, I hope he has uh, one of those years that that um, we look back and and say, you know, amongst the the, the Gator great years, um, you know, that they he he did the right thing. He he got the payoff for going through some of the hard times.
2: Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a marked difference. I think it was the USF game when he got hurt last year, and I just remember thinking at the time what a huge loss that was because he really was then and is now i think the quarterback of that defense you know he is the leader in that room so i mean it was very evident that there was a huge drop off on that defensive play once he once he uh went down last year with that injury
1: yeah i'm i'm i'm, ex- I'm excited too about amari bernie uh, I remember hearing the former staff talk about him um you know a couple years back the versatility and athleticism the way that they're able to use him in so many different ways you know fifth year guy in the program so uh, he, he's another one that um, you know I know he's been injured on and off here during fall camp, but uh, certainly one that, that uh, I'm excited about seeing. And and um, Derek Wingo's another one that I'm intrigued by. I, you know, just uh, seeing him at practice, seeing him make some plays. I watched him in the spring, make some uh, ridiculous plays in a goal line drill. Um, how consistent can he be? How, how much um, can he take a step forward and, and play in more significant minutes? Those are those are some of the guys that um, you know, just off the top of my head, practices that I've seen and and people that I've talked to that that uh, I'm kind of intrigued by this year.
2: What about Duan Black? I know that he's a guy that was kind of a fan favorite. You know, he had to work his way into the program through the JUCO route. A lot of respect for him. You know, and, and getting there. Do you think he's a guy that we could see this year at some after moments?
1: I hope so. I mean, you know, you talk about athleticism off the chart. I mean, everybody speaks to 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 this the skill that he has. It, it, I love the desire, the fact that it was a hard route to get here. Where after signing, well, what year was that? Twenty nineteen or whatever it was mm-hmm. that he he signed here and having, like you said, to go the JUCO route. Um, in my my experience, sometimes it's hard for for JUCO players to ever really achieve the the level of success that that you hope for. But uh, I hope I hope he's one that can can certainly beat the odds as it comes to to that kind of uh, history.
3: Yeah, switching over to the secondary um florida has been known at, at different points over the last 20 years as dbu and though that's waned over the last few years florida has still produced the likes of cj henderson um Kyer elam and even a guy that that to this day unfortunately the fan base still abhors uh, marco wilson he still got in the NFL, so Florida's continued to produce NFL talent from that defensive back group. Unfortunately, overall, we haven't been as successful as as we expect Florida to be. Fast forward to this year with with Coach Billy Napier bringing on the one and only Corey Raymond to coach corners, and I mean. We've we've already heard you talk about him. Patrick Tony appears to be one of one of the the premier up and coming defensive minds in college football. Tell me what you think about first off those two coaches in, in terms of coaching the, the defensive back unit. But is Florida is Florida about to return as DBU or or, or is it too early to to say that?
1: Well, two things. First and foremost, I want to go back to something you said. Anybody that's in this fan base that doesn't appreciate what Marco Wilson did for the the majority of his career, you know, you look at one mistake he made in the heat of the battle. Um, you know, I, I know it was a costly mistake, but Marco Wilson was a great Gator, and uh, I hope people understand, you know, what he did and the contribution coming back from an injury that he had, and and uh, you know, being a productive player. Uh, but in terms of the DBU, like, shoot, we got one of the the main reasons that LSU was. <laughs> in that argument for being DBU, right? I mean, we get Corey Raymond. I, it, I saw him yesterday, man. I, I told him how much I appreciated the fact that he was wearing the orange and blue. Now. I mean, it's a huge get. Um, so I, not, not only because of what he does in terms of coaching the position, but his recruiting ability. And uh, certainly the, the voice that he has um, is one that, that, that commands respect. So I'm, I'm excited about that. The combination of he and, and Patrick Tony in the secondary yeah, I think I think not that Florida. You saw you said something about getting back to it. I I I'm with you. You look at the players that that Florida's continued to put into the National Football League. Florida has had really good secondary play, and and um I'm sorry, they've had really secondary play has not always been consistent, but corner play I think has been pretty good. And if I go back, if there's criticism, I, I think what was that 2020 when they were hitting all those deep balls against us. All of those deep balls came because we couldn't generate pass rush A lot of what you see in the secondary that's been an issue is because of the the issues that you have on the defensive line the inability to create pressure on an opposing quarterback without having to blitz like those are those are things that that may manifest themselves in terms of big plays given up but it starts with the defensive line so I, I Florida has got to get better on the defensive line they've got to get better in terms of penetration against the run, they've got to be better in terms of rushing the passer without having to blitz and give those guys in the secondary a little help. But I, I truly believe that that the, the combination of scheme and development from these coaches is going to help all of those 11 guys on that side of the ball. But really, I think we should see a significant improvement in the overall production of the secondary over the last couple of years.
0: I would agree with you on that point, except for the Texas AM game in 2020. That was definitely a data point against secondary. I mean, you have the the, the famous play um of, of Caleb Chapman kind of mossing Marco Wilson on that play. Yeah, the, the pressure could have been a little bit more existent, I guess. But a couple of plays like that. Um, I mean Brad Stewart missing a tackle, Ventrell Miller missed a tackle too. I mean, he's not a defensive back, but the secondary was bad in that game. I think every other game though that year, I think 11 of those 12 games definitely the defensive line could have done more than it did.
1: Even to your to your point though, you know, you talk about him getting Moss. Guys in great position, right? It playing, I would never want to play cornerback. It is a very difficult position to play. Sometimes you you know, it's it's tough in those 50-50 situations and um but yeah, it, there's a lot of improvement that that could have taken place. That Florida was historically bad in 2020 as a unit uh, they they got marginally better last year but that's not to the standard of what we're used to at the University of Florida I mean Florida's known for having great defensive units um, Florida's known for having tremendous defensive line units like the, the history of the defensive line play at the school is amongst the best in the conference and, and I don't think you've seen Florida over the last couple of years having the caliber of player that you should have it, Florida, and is 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 in the state of Florida. Florida's got to get back to to keeping the top players in the state of Florida. In the state of Florida, you can't lose them to Clemson, to Georgia, to Alabama, to LSU. I think that's where you're going to see some significant improvement. And already in the in the 2023 class, it's coming together. There is a focus on defensive line and getting, you know, some of the the top recruits at that position here. So it it, it you, there's only so much you can do. You can I think you can develop players at other positions, but you can't create big, huge athletic men like you need to play defensive line position in the SEC.
3: Yeah, Chris, I mean, I I agree with you a thousand percent about, about the defensive line. I mean, the the entire, the entire field is, is important to cover nowadays with, with how wide open um, the the pass game has, has gotten. And to your point, that pretty much all started with the fun and gun with, with Steve Spurrier and what, what you and the, and the guys were able to do. And, and um, I want to I quickly ask about the safeties. So not only are, are safeties important, as we all know, in, in terms of, of uh, stopping the pass, but also in terms of stopping the run. Now, obviously, you, you need a defensive line that can, that can stop the run. But if you look at that LSU game, um, a big reason why Florida lost that game is the counter. And, yeah, you, you got to stop the counter before it gets past the line of scrimmage. But our safeties were routinely out of position. And a game that should have been 10 yards tops became a 20, 30, 40. And in many cases, that, that amazing running back, uh, Price, I believe it that, that was his name. Ty Davis Price. Mm-hmm. Um, took it to the house tell i want to I want to hear your hear your breakdown on on the safety position um and what do you think about uh about Trey Dean returning
1: I like Trey I mean you know I, I feel like Trey has, Trey has been it seems like he's been around forever but you know in terms of what he have did he have? I want to say he lead, led the team in tackles last year I believe um and that's not always a good thing but you know I, I'm I'm interested to see how they align and utilize those guys nowadays in in college and professional football when you're as multiple as defenses are, and you're playing in a lot of nickel situations, the guy that's playing that nickel spot has to be an amazing tackler. You're asking that guy to set the edge. A lot of times in the run game, you're asking, you know, that guy to defend the bubble, uh, which is a, a glorified run. So there's a lot that uh, falls on the, the, the shoulders of, of the safety play the safeties in any defense. But I, I feel good about, the ability to coach those guys up better, you know, I, I you, you go back and look at Missouri was miserable last year in in run defense. Uh, you go back and and look at the number of big gains they gave up. It's because their safety never cleaned any of those things up. And to your point, that's kind of what you were talking about in that LSU game. It's like, hey, the safety's job is is to be the eraser when the other ten guys, you know, one of those guys breaks things down. So I think just the in talking with Patrick Tony during the spring, he talked about, "Hey, we, we want to get guys lined up correctly, and we want to get guys playing their assignments and playing fast." It's really not all that that difficult. No, I think you know this was a team that at, at some points last year looked like they had lost their mojo completely, um, and I think that this the staff has done a good job to this point in time of re-injecting some of the confidence that they may have lost.
3: That's awesome. Now, super quick before we, we really switch gears, I know that uh, that Neil has in mind a segment where we're going to talk about predicting the season. Um, Mick Hubert, a guy that that made famous the Dorings got a touchdown mm-hmm. call. He's now moved on to retirement. Real quick, t- tell us about about Mick. Tell us about your relationship with him and what he's meant to Florida yeah. football.
1: Well, I'm still waiting on my my present for making him famous, you know I mean? Without now, without that play now, I think it's, it's cool for me because he and I, I think we ascended into being more recognizable amongst the Gator fan base on that same night in Kentucky. And so, you know, I love his contribution to this program. I love his, his uh, longevity. Um, You know, we're going to miss the, Oh my call. Uh, We're going to miss that familiar voice, but uh, Sean Kelly is the guy that I'm, Really excited about uh, having had a chance to to know him a little bit in the past and and spend some time with him since he's been here in Gainesville, you know I think he's a uh, a, a guy that um, is going to find his own little niche here and and you, you listen to the people that were in charge of of replacing Mick Hubert it, it's not an easy job to fill but they were pretty adamant about the guy they wanted to go get and um, for that reason you know I'm excited about him and I'm excited about a guy that wants to be. In this job and knowing how important the voice of the Gators is to this fan base, so it, it, nobody will ever be Mick Hubert, and and I certainly wish him well in retirement. But I think we got a good one with Sean Kelly going forward.
3: Yeah, that's awesome, and to think that in some way you're living on that legacy. I mean, you've called you've called some some Florida spring games as well as as well as other other matchups and. I think you it's a No, the no, no, You,
0: you called the game against Louisiana of all teams where we had I to block the punt. That's funny. And that you, you right before the block punt, you were saying perhaps Florida's gonna come after him and try to get a block after the clock had run all the way down inside of, wow. of from from like 55 to 15, and Florida didn't use a timeout. And you said, Well, perhaps they're gonna try to get a block and get the ball back. And before you know what block pun Jelani Jenkins takes it into the end zone that's a just... good
1: memory right there yeah i was i was in <laughs> the uh, in the booth at that at that time i'm trying to remember what year that was i wow before i started doing the studio stuff so you're right it's this is my eighth season in the studio now but the um yeah that that um that was a memorable game and the irony of, of being against louisiana is, is even more funny but
0: um <laughs> I don't even remember what was the question. What were we talking about? What was the, uh, we were talking about Mick Hubert and and legacies and, uh, how how you helped create his legacy. But
1: he, that, I I say that tongue in cheek. I mean, you know, I still get chills. Somebody sent a video to me, um, the other day that had that call in it, man. And I, I just, it, it makes the hair on my back, on my, on my neck stand up and, and, um, you no, know, it just seems like yesterday that that happened, man. Again, I said it earlier, but hard to believe it'll be 30 years next September. So it was so yeah. prophetic.
0: Here, here's the call, by the way, for those who don't. Teams
2: have been tremendous in recent years at blocking kicks.
1: Perhaps they're thinking maybe they're going to get a block and try a field goal.
0: Absolutely incredible. I'd
1: love to say that was prophetic, but that might've been the fan in me coming out a little bit with some wishful thinking as to what
0: I was, I was hoping going to happen there. You know, fair enough. Always, always humble. Um, (laughs) All right. So time for the big finale. We did this in the state of the program address podcast, um, but we're going to let you do it as the professional analyst on our show, just going game by game, predicting, what percent chance do you think that Florida has to win the game? Dustin this, was not able to be a part of that, so he's going to give his projections too. Is this where I get in trouble with the Gator fan base
1: for not being a big enough homer? That, I mean,
0: this is, this will, is probably where it happens. That will depend on the percent chances you give. <laughs> you, you control that. That's in your hands, not no, ours. I can tell you,
1: at this point in time, we're going to shift from me being a little bit more of the, uh, the Homer uh, Gator guy to the uh, more of the, the ESPN sec network analyst guy here. Cause I, I think this is a, a a schedule that's going to be really difficult to manage. We'll go through it and look back at the end, but I, I think if Florida can win, you know, if they were somehow able to win eight games, I think that's an amazing season in year number one with the schedule that's ahead of them.
0: Well, let's see what we've got here. So, Game one, Utah in the swamp to start the Billy Napier era. Next Saturday night, what do you think?
1: So this one, this is one, I don't have any idea why I feel this way, but for some reason I feel pretty good about it. You know, I think maybe it's the, maybe it's the heat and humidity. Uh, Maybe those folks coming from Utah are going to be a little shocked playing in the, the swamp. Um, everybody's kind of high on this this Utah team, and and talking with a lot of people that know that conference well, feel like they're going to win that league and maybe be a college football playoff team. But for whatever reason, I I feel like Florida has a good chance of beating them. So I'm going to go 55% chance of, of beating Utah.
0: Okay, I said 52, so that's higher than me, Dustin. Okay. What do you think?
3: I'm going to go a 57. Um. I think the swamp is going to be rocking. It's going to be a big time atmosphere, um, but Utah's a really good team. And I would not be surprised if, if they, if they pull it off as well, but I'm going to go 57.
0: All right. Next up is the team that you think is going to go 11 and one this season. And yes. Chris, our, our Chris has been dying to ask you about this. So I'll, I'll just go let ahead. him synopsize it.
2: Not necessarily about the prediction, but the, uh, because, I mean, I, I think when I went through the schedule, I could definitely see them winning nine, nine, ten games again. There's certainly the talent, the coaching ability. Um, but obviously the news came this week that Chris Rodriguez is going to be suspended for the first three to four games. They'll probably win most of those games without him. But does that change your outlook and your prediction for the Florida games?
1: It certainly doesn't help. I mean, having one of your best players not available. But if you ever had the ability to lose one of your best players, the running back position is one where they have, some pretty good depth. You know, Cravasse smoke was a a pretty impressive uh, player for them last year, running the football too. So I just think it's a bad, it's a bad fit for Florida because they, they're coming off of this Utah game, the debut of Billy Napier era playing against a physical Utah team. Kyle Whittingham's teams are always very physical. Whether you win or lose that game, you could be coming off a hangover from, from winning or you could be coming off a hangover for losing. I just right now, I think, Kentucky is a team, a program that's ahead of where Florida is. That's no indictment of Billy Napier. He's got some work to do. But I, I think you know, this is not the team that we beat 31 years in a row. You look at the last four ball games, we're two and two, including a loss in, in the swamp to them. So um I would say I'm gonna give Florida a 43% chance of winning.
0: Hmm. I said 59 I definitely think it's possible that Florida loses, but I just think there's a talent advantage, even even with the deficiency in recruiting that was present in the last half. I still think Florida has a talent advantage, um, but I could definitely see that 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 street fighter of a program coming in and, and shocking us. They did it the last time I was at that game, yeah. eighteen. So, Dustin, what do you think? You said, 50, "You said fifty-seven for Utah." What did you got for Kentucky?
3: Yeah. So to Chris's point, I'm actually going to give Florida a lower percentage chance of beating Kentucky than beating Utah, and I'm going to give Florida a 56% chance to beat Kentucky. Mm,
0: Okay, so virtually identical, um, mid-50s in both. So game three, South Florida, I don't think we need to spend too much time on this. Um,
1: Florida, I mean, that's a game. USF's not in great shape right now, so I'm going to go, what, Eighty-five percent, ninety,
0: maybe. I don't know. Something like eighty-five. Oh, I gave them uh, ninety-eight. I think. Did you? I wasn't sure what the. the, They're bad. They're yeah. They're they're really bad. But they um, were two and ten in the American last year, and they're not going to be much better this year. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Dustin, what say you?
3: Yeah, I mean, similar to the ESPN FPI, we can't give any team a one hundred percent chance to win a game because, I mean, there's always some remote case where it doesn't happen but i'm gonna have to go 93 percent
0: okay fair enough Um uh, game four at tennessee the first road game of the billy napier era the first road start for anthony richardson um yeah it is the first road start for anthony richardson so what do you think
1: man i'm i'm gonna give the edge to to tennessee just playing at home there in that environment um you know i i I do think that Florida and Tennessee are pretty similar in terms of of where they are right now. I think Tennessee probably exceeded expectations from last year, but um I know there's a lot of emphasis on them beating Florida, getting that monkey off their back. So, I'm going to say Florida has a 48% chance of winning up there.
2: That's exactly wow. what I gave it to. I was right on the dot.
3: So, yeah, Chris, I think this is gonna be a heartbreaker for the Gators. Um, I, I'm I'm giving Florida a 45% chance to win, but I mean, yeah, I think this is gonna be the year that that Tennessee gets it done. So I I went really low
0: on this one. I said 32. Um, and it's not even because I think Tennessee is that good. And they're they're good. They're a good team, but they're not world beaters but i think that this this reeks of a game where florida turns the ball over five times the crowd noise yeah. got to florida last year in a stadium with half the capacity of this one and probably half the rowdiness of Nealand, who has particular venom towards florida so i just yeah. i'm not super high on the chances of this one happening the next week is not the case uh eastern washington do we need to spend time <laughs> on this one 99.9 we're going with that is that the the highest we can give yeah, that's 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 probably fair. Um. So, but before we go any further, you said Utah was fifty-seven, right? Uh, Dustin said, uh, Dustin, you said fifty-seven. What I say? fifty-five. Uh,
2: yes. Yeah, he's got fifty-five 50. on Utah. Oh, fifty-five. Yeah. My
0: bad. My bad. Yeah. Fifty-five. Okay, Kentucky, you've got 45? 45 Forty. Forty-three. I'm keeping
2: track, Neil. I'm at. Oh, okay. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah.
0: All right, Chris. I, All right. Well, I, I forget what I was saying, so I'm glad you were. Thank you. That's good. I'm glad. I yeah, um, I thought I had that in my mind, but um, obviously not. So, okay, Eastern Washington, Dustin. Any? I mean, uh,
3: ninety nine. I mean, yeah. it's going to be a bounce back game. Hopefully, Tennessee serves as a learning opportunity. I know that Billy Napier is big on teaching. So,
0: yeah. Fair enough. Nice, quick, and easy. Next week, Missouri homecoming. A little bit of payback on Florida's mind too. After the "May the Force be with you" thing, sort of slam dunk on on uh Mullen's tenure. What do you think, Chris?
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Man, for, for whatever reason, we've struggled with Missouri. You know, it, it it I think back to that what game was it where I mean we completely outgained them, but turned it over and I think what they have like a kickoff return for a touchdown an a, a interception return for a touchdown. Yeah that I just I would say um I think Florida should win that game. I'm gonna say sixty two percent.
0: I went much higher than that. I said 83, I think. Dustin, what do you think?
3: Yeah. So the ESPN FPI gives Florida around a 78% chance to win. So let me go a little bit above that. Um, orange and blue glasses, I guess, but I'm going to go with 83%. Gotta, gotta beat misery. We have to. Yeah. They... We, 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 uh, we, we're we're pretty much through the the IMG curse. We got we got some IMG guys. Um we gotta break the misery curse pronto. <laughs>
0: I've I've had enough of them. I've had enough of their fans. I've had enough of their coach. I'm just I'm oh, sick of man. them. So all right, that's halfway through the season. We got another set of tigers coming to Gainesville the week after LSU, Brian Kelly, first year for him as well. What do we think, Chris? Man. It's uh, a another
1: tough one. I, I think LSU is going to be better than you look at what Vegas has the uh, the wind total led. I think it's six and a half. I-, I like the over for them. I think he's going to do a good job of of taking the athletes that he's inherited, preparing that locker room, and uh, I could see them winning. You know, nine nine games this year. I do think it's going to be a tough task in the swamp. So I'm going to give Florida the edge. Uh, I'm going to say you know Florida
3: maybe. 58% chance of winning? Yeah, I mean, LSU is always a game that, that Florida seems to struggle in. I mean, 2020, we go to that game. Florida should have blew them off the field. Didn't happen. So until Florida comes into an LSU game and actually performs the way that they should, the highest percentage I'm ever going to give Florida is 51%. <laughs> I'm picking the dub, but that's my that's my call, and, and I'm going to stick to it
0: you guys are higher than me. I said 41. I actually think LSU is going to win that. Um,
3: wow.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think they have too much talent in the trenches for Florida right now. Um, but we'll see 41% is not guaranteeing a loss by any means. So next game might be though, uh, Georgia, what do you think? Yeah, I, I definitely don't feel good about that right now. Um,
1: you know, I think Georgia. Even though they lose so much on their defense, they've recruited really well. Those guys are going to be developed by the time they head to Jacksonville. And, and um, you know, I, I I give Florida maybe a twenty-two percent chance of
0: winning. It's higher than me. I said eighteen.
3: <laughs> yeah, Georgia's loaded. Um, we spoke about tight ends earlier. They have arguably the best tight end group in the country. I'm going to go fifteen percent. Uh I, I think that's essentially an, an auto L for Florida. If Florida beats it, it's gonna be beats them, it's gonna be near miraculous. Um yeah, fifteen percent.
0: The only thing I will say is that five lost Florida teams do have a history of ruining their season in Jacksonville. So even if Florida comes into that game, it's
3: that's true four
0: and four you know and and last year they were competitive with them it didn't the score didn't look it but it wasn't like florida was completely outclassed but the first 27 minutes what it was a three nothing or or down to the last and then and then they didn't score again until the final two minutes of the game um but yeah i mean well now they got a field goal but yeah i I don't think it's gonna be very likely but um week after that another very difficult test on the road at texas a&m what do we think
1: Man, I, I don't feel good about that game at all. You know, maybe it's uh, harking back to the loss last time we went there in 2020. But uh, I just, uh, I'm not a big, I'm not huge on Texas A&M either. That's the funny thing about it. Like, I, I think they have issues at the quarterback spot still. I think they have issues at the wide receiver spot. I think they lost a lot of talent at front seven, losing Mike Elko. Like, they're I just think that it's a pretty. I don't know if you guys have been there. It's a pretty unique home field environment that they have and uh, you mentioned neil earlier the struggles of florida playing in some of those more raucous arenas last year i think that's going to be a, a a raucous one for sure so i'm going to say florida has a
0: 32 percent chance of winning there i think that's exactly what i i
3: might have 31 but that's pretty close
0: dustin i
2: had to
3: yeah yeah chris at Obviously, you got to take off your, your Gator fan hat and former player hat and put on your media hat. Well, in that dream scenario where, where we once again put that Florida fan hat on, if Anthony Richardson was to have a Heisman season, a, a 2007 Tebow-esque type season, um, this Texas A&M game would be that marquee Heisman moment if Anthony Richardson was to go into College Station and come out with a dub. I don't think it's going to happen. I agree with you 35% Florida. That's my, that's my, my number for them.
0: All right, South Carolina and the home finale the following week. Yeah, South Carolina was probably – the most
1: disappoint wow, I, I'm thinking of a couple of different disappointing moments. But that that was one of the more disappointing games where they just completely did not show up at all. Um, I think Florida's better than what they looked against South Carolina last year. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Spencer Rattler uh is able to to lead that that offense. Um I love Shane Beamer, love what he's building there, but I, I think it's a a game that Florida should and will win. Um but after the way they they gave it up last year, I don't feel like I can make it a a really high percentage, but I'm going to say 63% chance.
3: Yeah, senior night, I think Florida comes away with the dub. I'm going to give Florida a 75% chance to win.
0: Nice. Pretty easy. I said 77. Um, Vanderbilt in the SEC finale, what do we think?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Vandy's got a ways to go. I mean, they are – by far the the worst team in the league right now. Uh so that that should be one that Florida's able to win. Although you know I, I look back and I probably won't ever be invited back as the uh the honorary Mr. Two Bits after losing a homecoming game to uh Vanderbilt. Uh that that that's one of the more embarrassing moments on my resume. So I don't think that'll happen in this one, but uh I'm going to give I'm going to give Florida the the hard, hard part about this playing, I don't know if you guys have gone to a Vandy game but playing up there It's hard. It's a home field advantage because it's such a bad home field. Like there's no energy in the stadium. You just it's hard to really get going. Uh, That could be a game that could be a noon game, you know, that you're you're playing at 11 a.m. local time. So some of that works against you. But I think Florida's, you know, much better team. So I'm going to say 90 percent chance. Yeah, 92
3: percent. I think Florida's got it.
0: Yeah, that that would be a catastrophic loss if Florida were to lose that. Yeah. Um yeah, it probably would be up there with losing the USF or Eastern Washington, although it is on the road, sort of, I guess. But all right, finale. FSU in Tallahassee, Black Friday. What do we think? I love that that game's on Black Friday night for you sure. Do? You don't like it? I didn't think anybody did. I love it
1: man. It's better than playing at noon on Saturday. I mean that's where we've been relocated to with both programs being as down as they are, but uh get a chance to stand out a little bit on on Friday night. Um I like I I, I it's it's hard to handicap because much like we're not sure about what Florida's going to be. You know, Florida State did show some improvement last year in the second half of the year. Um but I still think Florida's in better shape right now. Um playing in Tallahassee makes it a little more challenging, but I think I think Florida's a 63% chance of winning that game, probably.
3: Good pick, Chris. Um, <laughs> the uh, ESPN FPI actually really likes the Knolls, has them with a, about a 56% chance to win. I completely disagree. Um, I know I'm arguing with a computer, but I'm going to give Florida a 60% chance to win.
0: Y'all are lower than me. I said 70 Um, They're going to have to get better in the trenches. I think they will just because they can't get worse, but they're going to have to take a big step forward for me to really trust them. Um, So, Chris, Yanes, what have we got? So,
2: adding up all the percentages, uh, Chris has about 7.2 wins. Uh, If you go strictly off, if we're going win-loss on, if we get over 50%, he actually has us going 8-4. and So, to what he said earlier would be a good season, either it's, seven and five, eight and four.
1: It's funny that you say that because I was going over the schedule here in my mind. I think Florida finishes seven and five. You know, there's a couple key games that could swing it one way or the other. You know, I, I certainly believe that, um, in you know, the LSU game is one of those that can is a big swing game. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I've seen stench. On uh, on the SEC network, uh predict six and six. I don't think it's quite that low, but I, I certainly don't see us winning nine games either. So I'm I'm with you there and that seven or eight game slot is probably about right.
0: Well, um yeah, Chris Doring has us at seven and five or eight and four. Always a pleasure to have you on our show. I think that's I think that it think that's it for this one. Um Y'all know where to follow him. You can catch him on SEC Network talking about all 14 teams in the league. Chris uh, At Chris Doring on Twitter. Chris, thank you so much as always, and we look forward to having you back again at some point and hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Sounds good, man. It's good to be with you guys, and go Gators. Go Gators. Go Gators. All right, y'all. That was fun. I enjoyed it, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for coming
1: on. Yeah. Talk to you guys soon. See ya.